Hello and hello, 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 and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and the aim of our show is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism. And today we're going to be taking a look at the chain from microaggressions to explicit racism in the workplace. But as always, I just really want to start us off by centering ourselves and taking a moment to find our breath. And so if you would, if you want to close your eyes or if you just want to settle in to the space where you're listening, and of course, if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but tune into that which gives you life. Find your breath and just take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. So breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. And as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity And carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in and sigh it out. I am so excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. I talk all the time about implicit biases and our unconscious biases, but today we're really going to take a look at it from an employment law specialty. And so I want to discuss today microaggressions in the workplace and really taking a look at how such microaggressions are detrimental to not only the people of color, but everyone that works in the office, ultimately. I want to take a look at the issues, how they're rooted in an employer's more explicit discriminatory incidents that occur and that result in lawsuits. And so I would think that there are many employers who would want to listen to this episode today so you can learn the things to do and not do. Uh, And really just taking a look at language and behaviors, and even just the patterns in the workforce. Some of the things that um, contribute to harassment and retaliation and discrimination. So we are just going to go in a deep dive, taking a look at that today. So I'm so excited that my guest today is attorney Eric Sarver. He is an employment law and business attorney for small to mid-sized businesses. He's been practicing since 1999, so he really is an expert in this area. So for over 22 years, he has defended, counseled, and represented businesses and owners, taking a look at these practices, such as what I've just talked to you about. I'm delighted also because Eric has his own radio show, The Employment 
Law Today on Talk Radio NYC. And so I consider him a fellow uh, host on, on Talk Radio NYC. I was on his show and we talked a lot about dismantling racism. And so I have him back on my show so that we can really dig deep, as I said. So I'm not going to waste too much more time because it's much more important for us to get into the depth of the conversation. So attorney Eric Sarver, I want to welcome you to the show today. Carolyn, Dr. Avery, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, I am looking forward to uh, another great conversation on this, this very important topic. Mm. So let's get get with it. You know, before I go too deeply into the the implicit biases and lawsuits and all of that, you've been doing this for 22 years. Mm -hmm. So I know that you need something to ground you in this work to keep you coming back, because I'm sure you say not again. I can't believe this is happening again. So what grounds you and keeps you balanced? It's a great question. It really is. And some question I need to ask myself at times as well. I would say that there are two different things that keep me balanced and two ways that I ground myself. One is just more sort of on a personal level. I meditate. You did a meditation before we started the show, which was really terrific. And excuse me, I um, I actually do meditate about 10 minutes in the morning, or sometimes I'll take a 15 minute break just to center myself and catch my breath. Um, and that helps me to to stay grounded, as does playing guitar. I find music very grounding. So if I can take some time at night to unwind, just um, my guitar and, and I uh, with, you know, together, it's really very soothing and grounding. And then in my work, <clears throat> what grounds me um, is often just having these conversations with clients where we're just talking about the legal issues that I'm helping them with and also just like their personal lives. You know, I, I ask them what's going on with their families, themselves, if they're comfortable talking about that because that, their response, I find reminds me that they're people, right? They're human beings. And we're all people in this equation of employer, employee. So it gets me motivated to keep working for them. And they don't start to feel like, oh, this is company ABC with this problem, this company XYZ with that problem. I love that. I love that you're saying I try (laughs) to see them as people. And I think if we did that more often, just even in our daily interactions with one another, I think we'd have a bit more patience and a bit more understanding for one another. But tell me a bit more about yourself and and maybe what prompted you to found your your law offices. Sure, sure thing, um, Jalen. Well, I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. I know we have an important topic to get into, but I will say in terms of my background. Um, so I grew up in Long Island, a uh, Jewish family from uh, from the suburbs, um, and uh, always had an interest in law, even as a young child. Now, to be fair, my desire to be a lawyer since I was 10, I didn't really know what that entailed, right? I saw it on TV. I had a few cousins and uncles in the industry. My, my parents uh, always reminded me growing up that they never pressured me uh, mm-hmm. when I told them I want to be a lawyer. They said, whatever you want to be is fine with us. So, you know, it's, but um, but uh, I went on to law school, college and law school, Binghamton and Hofstra Law, and really found my niche in employment, labor law, and business law. Um, I would say that like, I have a knack for, I enjoy writing and I enjoy uh, anything with human connection. And so I like, I also enjoy solving problems and being creative with solutions. Um, I actually enjoy addressing conflict and trying to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And so I think all those things went into my decision, A, to be an attorney, 
where I'm, I can satisfy my inner advocate, my inner peacemaker, my inner uh, resolute, resolution uh, person. And, and B, it inspired me to turn towards employment law because there's such a human element. There's a lot of creativity, a lot of analysis, a lot of you know, complex issues that I get to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's really um, great. And actually, I just learned something else about you as you were talking mm-hmm. that um, we were probably at Hofstra around mm-hmm. the same time now that uh, now really? that I think about it. Yes. But we could talk about that uh, offline. Um, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> let's jump right into it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have their ideas about what implicit bias means and what microaggressions are. And so I'd like to hear from you as an employment attorney. Tell us some of the things that come up around implicit bias and microaggressions. Absolutely, Charlyn. Well, first, I think, as we had with our conversation uh, not so long ago, I think it's important to have definitions, right? Working definitions that we can label and identify what these phrases are. So and in my mind, implicit bias is the unconscious, right? The unaware uh, bias or image or uh, the attitude, right? The belief, perhaps the the um, the unconscious beliefs like, that we have about other people. Often people who are marginalized, I would say, or in minority groups in society. It could be based on race, gender, uh, national origin, right? People of sexual orientation. And so it's, and we say implicit in that like it's unconscious. The person who ha- holds that belief often does not identify mm-hmm. out there as, hey, you know, I'm a proud boy, you know, right? Or I'm a white supremacist. Like, it's rather, you know, I'm a very uh, progressive, like-minded, liberal person, you know, I love everybody, or I don't see the famous line I've heard people say is, I don't see color, which, as we've discussed, is frankly problematic when you get down to it. But it's really just like that. It's unconscious. And um, and, and that's in the workplace, how that comes out often is, let's be specific, when uh, a company is hiring, right, they have candidates before them, it could be the identical resume. And there have been studies where they have the exact same resume, right, before an employer, different name. One name might be uh, a very African-American sounding name. The other name like, might be a very Jewish sounding name. Same identical schools, background, made up jobs, and the employers uh, many times over like, will pick like, the the white person's name over the, the yeah. black person. So what's up with that? Same resume, right? Same yeah. implicit bias they're holding about what an African-American worker in their mind may or may not deliver. So it comes up in terms of interviewing, in terms of promotion, right? We see a woman and often we don't promote we being uh, men in, in power, and the unconscious, unspoken thing might be, well, this young woman might have children. Well, guess what? A lot of young men who are fathers might have children too. And it's not 1980 or 1960, and fathers are very involved in their children's lives. So so that's an example of the definition and an example in real time. Mm. So, so before we get to the microaggression then, how would you tell someone to become more conscious of that because the listener is probably saying, Oh, I I don't do that. I don't do that. So what would you say to encourage them to begin to take a look at their hiring practices or interviewing practices for that matter? Right. That's a great question. Really. You know, it's funny. That question reminds me of a quote I had once from a client. I was going through a training with them about compliance with the law and and how to uh, be more uh, neutral and equal, I should say, in their hiring practices and diverse and inclusive. And the person said, are you going to talk to me about implicit bias? I said, well, actually, that will come up. And they said, oh, I've been reading about that a lot. They said, I make it a practice never to be implicitly biased. 
Now, the thing about implicit right is it's unconscious, unknown to, to you, the holder. So, right. but that brings that begs a good question, right? It brings the question like, how do you? Uh, and so, one one thing I recommend often is for companies to to hire in people who are expert at uh, diversity and inclusion, who can like, for example. Uh, give examples of un, of uh, of microaggressions and implicit bias. Like who can root it out, who can write knowledge is often basically as power, and also to give examples of better hiring hiring practices, uh, and including the recommendation that often you have people of color involved in the management, in the hiring, in the firing, in the promotion, mm-hmm. because they might be more aware of an implicit bias and be able to step in and intervene. Right. And and even when you think about, you know, going back to looking at those resumes and saying the names, but yes. even before getting to that, the type of schools that employers mm. go to or to, to look, for example, for the people that they want to hire and not mm. even recognizing whether they are being biased even in that. But, you know, mm. we, we really do have to uh, take a break. So when we come back, though, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about some of the the microaggressions, perhaps, that you've seen, because I really love the examples that you gave on implicit bias and ways in which people can look out for that. So we're going to be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. TLC, 
My guest today is attorney Eric Sarver, and we are talking about employment law. And before the break, we were talking about implicit biases, and I'm so grateful that you gave us a few examples of implicit biases. And I and I really was just thinking about your quote uh, that you you left us with, where the person said, "I try hard not to practice implicit biases." The truth is, we don't know what we don't know, and we don't know the ways in which we um, we sort of other people. If we knew it, perhaps we wouldn't do it as much. And one of the other things that I thought about when you were talking about the phrases that people use often when they think of not discriminating, they'll say, but I'm a good person. So discrimination, prejudices, and being racist does not mean that a person isn't a good person. You can engage in a behavior unintentionally. So I just really want people to be clear about that because folks always say, well, I'm I'm not a racist, but the behavior that you're engaging in could be a racist act. And that's what we need to uh, really help people to kind of think about. So I love that you gave that example before the break, but let's now go to some microaggressions mm-hmm. from from an employer standpoint. Yes. What might be some things that an employer might do that an employee might consider microaggressions? That's yeah, a good question, Trillin. Um, I can give some examples, and so, and then I can perhaps comment a bit on put on my attorney, my lawyer hat, and say why these things like, may be problematic not just morally and from an ethical point of view, but from a liability perspective. Um, But let's give the examples first, because I like your point. I think people can wrap their head around a concrete scenario. So, for example, a microaggression, let's say, might be a a subtle action or a subtle comment or word or statements, someone that perhaps, if looked at on the face of it, the average person might not even see as, oh, that was a racist thing to say or do, or that was a sexist thing to say or do. So, for example, acts of exclusion in the workplace, right? It's like, say, um, if you have in business, in many private firms or companies, for example, um, the road to advancement is not all about how many hours they bill or, you know, getting the I's dotted and the T's crossed on their paperwork. Often there's a social element and a uh, connection element, networking within. And so, a lot of companies will have uh, networking events either with clients or within or both. And often I've seen like, where a company will not invite, let's say, for example, a young African-American attorney to a networking event with clients because it was a very wealthy client base who were having a, a polo, uh, outdoor polo event, true story. And I never really thought polo was like a thing a lot. I, I thought it was a cliche of like movies with the very, very wealthy, but apparently it does happen at the less wealthy level too. Um, perhaps I'm not in that but, but anyway, so they were having a polo uh, event, and they didn't invite one of their black young associates. And when he was confronted the person later and said, why, the the the, the senior associate who planned this looked surprised, looked at him and said, well, I didn't even think you'd be into polo and not know how to play polo. I didn't want to bother something that you don't do, right? And so there was that, like, my, there are two microaggressions I see there. One was the initial action of just, this not subtle in his mind, maybe not so subtle, of just, I'm going to exclude this person, right? Mm-hmm. And the second was the statement of, well, you don't enjoy that. And, and the subconscious, the subtext I see is, you know, like, you're a black young man, 
you might say, here comes the bias, that you might be wanting to, uh, if we had a, this is my, my, my view, but basketball gaming, or, you know, uh, a game of, let's say, football, but not mm-hmm. golf or lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So, this, those microaggressions in terms of behavior, you have the exclusionary behavior, and then you have those, like, say, those comments that employees make. And I often see them when I'm defending a company and trying to resolve an issue because there's some liability attached. Uh, an employee to another employee who might make comments about that person's hair, you know, or, oh, you know, I see you got a haircut. You know, your hair would look so beautiful. Have you ever tried to straighten it? I have a great hairdresser, right? Why would you make that comment? Now, the person making the comment will swear up and down when called into HR. I Look, I'm just a fashion diva, and I swear I was just like, being, you know, fashion conscious. Do them a favor. But it's a, so those are some examples. I can give one more that I think might be telling, a very brief one, because I think it so goes into this idea of in the workplace, how prevalent it is. Um, asking a, a person perhaps in their mid-40s, say, what school they went to, and the person says, oh, I went to fill in the blank, I went to Dartmouth, or, you know, Dartmouth, or, and, or Princeton. And the uh, other person saying to them, you should leave with that in client meetings. Now, mm-hmm. You know, when you're 25, 26, people ask, where'd you go to school, kid? To, and the hint is, are you qualified to be doing my case or my work? Right. When you're in your 40s, you've already, like, you, you are introduced me as 22 years in practice, right? So that's what really counts. And this person saying, what do I have to leave with my college experience in 1997? You know, hey, I'm, I've been doing financial advising since 2000. Why don't you ask me about that? And that's an example of, of micro bias or microaggression. Yeah. So, so, and that's really interesting because people don't, wouldn't think that just because they're saying lead with your college, but what they're really saying is, well, you're not good enough to Mm. to be here. And we need to prove to folks that you're good enough to be here. That's, that's the understatement. But, you know, I have to tell you, as you're talking, of course, I'm thinking about the many microaggressions that I've experienced in my lifetime. And, and, and so some of those are around and in, even if my colleagues of color has have experienced those things, I consider it me as well, because it could have just as easily been me. But sure. I've had people sometimes to uh, make comments. Well, why are you so angry if, mm-hmm. if a person of color, particularly a woman, is yes. not smiling? And we may be in a meeting and we're not smiling and we're just intent listening to what what's being said, or if we speak very direct because we come from a culture where we speak very direct to one mm-hmm. another. So people will make statements mm-hmm. like that. But I've also heard people make statements about, I feel attacked. Mm-hmm. And these statements are generally made when it's a person of color, particularly an African-American or a black person. They'll make comments like that or make Again, like those assumptions that you said around, you know, polo and or I've had people and this isn't necessarily happen at work, but I could imagine if people continuously ask questions like this. I once commented on how many siblings I had Mm -hmm. and somebody said, and you all have the same like mother and father. And I just said. I said, yeah, some black people have the same mother and father. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean that. But I needed this person to understand yes. what they just said, because would you have said the same thing? And so I think when we talk mm. about microaggressions, it's important for people to also look at their assumptions and their stereotypes that they have, because those things contribute to implicit biases. So mm. I'm wondering now, so I ran off a list of things. 
mm-hmm. that, that I either have happened to me or, or that people have said. So at what point, I know that you are typically talking to the employer, but at what point does a person who's experiencing this, the implicit biases and the microaggressions, where, when do they say, hey, enough is enough and I need to go see attorney Sarver? Yes. And I should know, I do handle um, a handful of employee matters as well in discrimination and wage and hour labor violations as well as my, of course, I check for a conflict to make sure there is none there. So it couldn't be the same company, obviously. But, um, but to answer your question, it's a great question. But when do they go to an attorney to seek help? First, I would know, I would say that whenever they are emotionally ready and, and not just financially ready, because it's emotionally ready, right? When are they prepared? When do they have the bandwidth? When they've endured discrimination in the workplace, it can be so traumatic. I dare say it is so traumatic that they have to just like have the bandwidth to it, to address it, to be present, to, to survive it. And so they're not even thinking about fighting it or hiring an attorney. Um, I would say when they're emotionally ready to address it, and I would now take a step back and say, what do I mean by address it? If the employee is making the assumption, right, we talk about assumptions, that going to an attorney, addressing it means we're going to court next week. If you watch legal shows on TV, they always go to court in like a month, two, two three weeks. It's like, please, it's really, there should be three or four seasons, no, eight seasons going by and three years before you're in a court setting. But that's neither here nor there. But if they're thinking, I have to like wait. a pet peeve, which <laughs> it is, I love certain shows, but when they go to trial or deposition a week later, and it's like, guys, this should be two years down the road. You'd have more salt and pepper in your hair. But I digress. Um, so when they should come to an attorney or myself, for example, someone uh, is when they're ready to address it, but address it does not necessarily mean like ready to go to court and do battle. Uh, address it could mean that they have an attorney, for example, I've done this, I give an example, um, ghostwriting emails and responses for them, right? Counseling them and guiding them through, okay, well, you should be recording these events in a notebook, a private journal, writing down things, um, writing down like what's happening. Be careful about downloading or taking any emails because you can get into a murky area of misappropriation of confidential materials. So I don't counsel people to like download a bunch of like emails and documents just yet. But I say, you know, memorialize things like document what happened when whom you spoke to, because six months from now that could come in handy. And Mm -hmm. I also can uh, I've had someone write ghost read certain emails and she was ready to say, okay, Eric, now I need you to come in with your letterhead, with your, you know, guns blazing and say, we need this to get done. So emotionally ready is important. Financially ready, of course, are the financial consideration in hiring counsel. But I would say that's when, and I think a company should step in when they have the, even this, even if they don't have a complaint yet, you know, in my mind, a company should have an employment lawyer on, like myself on, on hand, whenever they have employees, because Frankly, you're going to have issues of microaggressions come up and to have trainings and compliance counseling is so important. Mm. You said so much there that I, I, I mm-hmm. just think so is so critical for the listening um, audience. And we're going to have to take a break in just a minute. But mm-hmm. when we return from the break, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, you mentioned it being emotionally ready. So I wonder what are some of the emotional or psychological um, issues that you've seen come up as a result of people who have experienced discrimination? So if you could speak to that. And I was thinking about when you were talking about having uh, an employment lawyer on staff, 
Of course, that is critical. And it would be equally critical that they actually do their own training in in implicit biases and microaggressions so that they would know and become aware. But I do want to just point out to our listening audience the importance of what you just said about coming to a person like you when you're even just in the stages of, okay, this is a lot. I'm not ready for the lawsuit yet, Mm. but I need to start thinking about what to do, because I find what's critical about what you said is the documentation. You know, a lot of times when people are experiencing things, they don't write down everything that's happening. But as an attorney, you're able to guide those people and, you know, help them to venture in to really just kind of say, this is what you need to do if you are going to ever file a lawsuit. So I really think that's important for our listening audience to really think about. So if you're out there and you're being harassed and you're feeling that, wait, something is not right about this, go and talk to Eric, you know, if if you're not in the area, go and go somewhere else in your local area and talk with an attorney just to get some advice. I think that's really helpful. So we're going to take a really quick break, Eric, if you want to comment on that when we come back. Um, But I would like to talk a little bit more about the emotional and psychological impact um, as well. So we'll be right back. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. are back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today, attorney Eric Sarver, is talking with us 
about employment law, discrimination, harassment, implicit biases, microaggressions, the whole gamut. And before our break, you were talking about when a person is emotionally ready um, to file a lawsuit, that some people are not emotionally ready to do so. And so as a result, you consult with those people and you give them advice and guidance on what to do until or when uh, they might be ready, if and when they are ready. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've seen as it relates to the emotional and psychological impact of discrimination? Yeah, it's a great question, Charlie. And, you know, if I just backtrack for one brief moment to say that um, the last point prior to the break, um, and maybe I should clarify what I meant by this. Um, certainly following a lawsuit, it could be the end result when they're ready for that. But um, it can also be that, say, the end result is negotiating uh, a good severance agreement for them or helping them to get their uh, their inaccurate progressive discipline warnings expunged or have to affect their job. So there are definitely, they're definitely um, additional sort of end game or end goal results besides the lawsuit. I just want to point that out in case someone listening thinks that that's the only, because it's a very common uh, thing for people listening to, to perhaps think. But, but to your question about, say, the emotional right and psychological impact of discrimination and microaggression on Employees and employers in the workplace. Is that well, if you if you actually have it for both? But I really was thinking about for the employee. But sure. we do this work all the time, so I am sure that is detrimental to yes. the employer in some ways as well to have to go through all of this. But I think the employee is like a very important starting point, right? I mean, certainly the you know recipient of the uh, unjust discrimination. Uh, if you know has that intense suffering i mean if somebody picks up a hot rock and throws it at somebody else and hits them with it uh it might burn that person's hand but it also if it hits it'll cause damage to the person getting hit with the rock i just took a buddhist saying and turned it on its head the original saying is when you pick up a, a hot rock to throw at your enemy you always you may miss but you always hurt yourself but yeah. to stay with your question about the employees right okay so yeah the emotional damage can be really detrimental um well first off the thing about microaggressions is that people tend to deny that they happened, right? The person, not only the person who makes the aggressive gesture, overture, behavior, or a statement, but the people around them, right? If the person on the receiving end goes for help, let's say, to a coworker, to a manager, and says, you know, Bob in accounting said this about me, and he told me I should cut my hair, and said it would look better, and uh, et cetera. Oh, I see, you're, you know. Does your hair get curly like that because it's, you know, human out or uh, whatever the case may be, making a, a crack about someone that say um, their their hairstyle and that person takes it as a racist, you know, overture. When the people around say it's, it's not racist to me, people talk about me needing a haircut when it gets too long. The, the effect of like negating that employee's experience is a form of gaslighting that is so, I think, like terrifying and mm-hmm. Just, you know, because the person feels like, wow, like I know something's happening that's wrong. I'm what I don't have. I don't have a voice about this because when I voice it, no one's hearing it. It's not landing. And that can affect affect their productivity. Right. I mean, it's hard to do work with a target on your back. It's very hard. Right. You, You can be working from home. Now, if you go into the jungle and try to do work with tigers roaming around behind you, you're not going to get anything done. So productivity suffers, right? Well, their health suffers, like their physical health, their mental health. Um, they take more sick days. And also, if they do get disgruntled and they leave, they might go to an attorney and say, hey, this is what was happening. So there's definitely, I think, a lot of like, emotional harm 
that's caused, I think, in yeah, depression, anxiety, yeah. PTSD, mm-hmm. a lot of it. That you know what? I really so appreciate the examples that you're giving here, and that mm-hmm. phrase, gaslighting. Mm, is a powerful phrase to to understand that while we may not think what we're saying is a big problem, we need to understand what it's doing to that other person emotionally and psychologically. So thank you for that. You know, when you were talking, I was so moved by your your Buddhist statement as well. Mm -hmm. You you might pick up a rock and throw it at somebody you might miss, but you'll get burned in the process. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about Often attorneys actually, or you know, well, you're a counselor, of course, you you know yeah. that. But I'm wondering in the work that you do with folks, mm-hmm. it seems to me like you really listen to the people with whom you work. And so I wonder if there are times you have to give them, like the example you just gave me, do you find yourself counseling them to sort of bring them down? So whether you are working with the employer or the employee that you have to do some work to help get them in the space to be able to hear what you're trying to say to them. You know, I really do. It's, um, it's interesting because, you know, I, I can go on the show and talk about say title seven and New York state human rights law and what the law defines as they say discrimination and all the objective, subjective standards and all that. And, that's all well and good, and I know what to look for and what to what to implement and practice. But you know, the right the people connection is the most important thing. I often uh, one time one time I had a, a client, the employer, who said, you know, are you my attorney or my therapist? I actually didn't take offense because in my mind, emotional intelligence is such an important part of all this, right? And um, so I actually have times have had to help you know to get to the employer right, to what you mentioned earlier today, which is like not to get so defensive like, in thinking that these statements, they're true, mean that you're a bad person. Um, and then explaining that you need to implement certain changes and may take certain redress and not just like going on the event defensive, how can we prove this person's wrong? They misconstrued the alleged discrimination. It didn't happen. It actually reminds me of a story with a, with a client I was thinking about, you know, in terms of like, like what can I say bring to this show is a memorable uh, story, right? And it's not about, say, a, you know, a very high verdict. Had some of those. It's not about uh, uh, winning a case. It's about a, a, a case that went forward that I can see in hindsight, about maybe ten years ago, was strictly basic. I think a lot on, or mostly based on emotion, right? In terms of why it went as far as it did. So, and actually, it gets, it's an example, perhaps, of your point of how much emotion is involved in this. How much stems from the discriminating person, the offending person, the belief that if I admit wrongdoing, I'm saying I'm a racist, a horrible person, and they can't live with that. So I had a client, this company, they were having uh, people who were leaving and suing for discrimination based on race and gender. Often those two overlap, by the way. Black women are much more likely to face discrimination in the workplace than uh, white women, of course. I shouldn't say of course, but... And, more, and then black and white men. But I uh, had a story where uh, this company was having a lot of people who were alleging discrimination, and they investigated each one using the law standard, which says, well, okay, subjectively, they think they're being discriminated against. Objectively, if I look at this like, as a person, I don't see discrimination here, nor does my colleague Bob, nor does you know Jefferson, all of whom, by the way, look like me, 
Um, you know, sort of saying here, of course, and and so they're not really listening to the other side. So this person filed a lawsuit. There was some, we I did some investigation. There was some some teeth to this lawsuit. It had some momentum, and I said, listen, let's get to a mediation and try to resolve this, which we did. The the employee wanted their back page, back wages, their attorney's costs, and an apology. That's it. Yeah. Not an admission publicly, could all be confidential. I said, this is good news. You can get a non-disparagement clause put in the agreement, a no admission of guilt. They want to hear you say, I'm sorry. The person's like, but I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't discriminate. And the person actually used it as a source, I noticed this in litigation, of pride. Like, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And I'll fight if I have to. Six months later, we're still fighting this case. Six months later, we're still trying to negotiate an end. Depositions happen. Like they don't go too well for the employer. It's time to negotiate. The money part keeps going up, and the person still wants like, the apology, right? And the employer is saying, like, no, I won't apologize. Finally, it gets to a later point. It ends up settling where he never gave the apology. He paid three times what the person originally asked for, his no. company did, and three times that in legal fees. And the person gave up on the apology. She said, you know what? It's not going to happen. I need to feed my kids, take care of my family, be over and be done with this. I'm done. What, when I asked him, I said, how come you didn't offer the, what was really going on there, right? And he said, like, he said, I'm a principal person, Eric. I would rather pay a million dollars than like, falsely say that I am a disgusting, horrible racist, right? That I am like a, 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 a Klan member. I won't do it. And I, you know, I, I, I turned to him and I said, you know, like, you know, Kevin, he's not, she's not asking you to say that. It's just that you made a mistake, that you were, that you did something that was, that you're a bad person, you did something that was bad or wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it goes back to like, look at the powerful emotion about that these people, she was willing to settle for an apology and a small amount of money. He was willing to fight to the end, not to give it. That's not business sense. That's not economic number crunching. That's overall emotion. So if we can take the temperature down and listen, I mean, I might be out of a job. You know, but you know what's wow, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, wow, wow, wow. And what how he would have been served if he could have just taken a course mm-hmm. on dismantling racism and Make implicit biases and my yes, yes, or microaggressions, right? But but uh, really beyond implicit biases, because implicit biases is just the first. Part. But had he taken a course, he would have understood all the ways in which we all show up sometimes saying and doing things that we are not aware that we are contributing or perpetuating a system. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so he really lost out as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have to take another quick break, but sure. when we come back, I'd like us, if we could, to talk about what are some of the common mistakes. And then if we have time, I would love to have a discussion about almost just a wee bit of a discussion. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this cancel culture <laughs> when an employee does something and then the employer, for the sake of saving face, says that was racist and they they get rid of you. So if we have time, I'd love to to come back and just kind of deal with that in a little bit. So this is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. 
Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today, attorney Eric Sarver, has been talking with us about employment law. And before the break, we were having this really uh, powerful discussion about the, the case example that you were given, where the emotions just got really, really involved. And so uh, we do have to learn to take the emotions down a bit. I wonder, though, in, in the last uh, segment of the show, could you speak a little bit about what are some of the common mistakes that folks make? Mm. Sure thing. Uh, I'll do my best. I know we have about 10 minutes uh, left, but I'm definitely happy to talk about those mistakes. Yeah. So I think the most perhaps common mistake that I think employers make is rather than start from the starting point that the employee that their experience of discrimination is real and valid, the employer goes to uh, a different starting point. They say, well, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to dig up facts like, to see if the person really did experience discrimination at this at my office, at my company, my workplace, or if they didn't, if maybe they were mistaken, they misheard things, they misunderstood. And I think that like, say, you know, when you go, when you as an employer, that is, go approach a complaint of discrimination with that mindset, you know, you, the challenge and the flaw in that is that if you cannot see, for example, your implicit bias or your other employee's implicit bias, maybe say, you know, Susan, the manager who is being accused of discrimination and, and you, the company CEO, I know Susan for 12 years, she'd never do anything discriminatory. Her, you know, her best friend to black or something to that effect. Um, what happens is like, that you are now 
um, you can be accused from a legal perspective, if you don't do any, take any action, of condoning or allowing a discriminatory workplace, right? Of not address, redressing and addressing the issue. And so, you know, I think people, I think, in my opinion, I think I'm going to make a statement that some of my colleagues might take me to task on, but that's fine. I think that like, the law is needs to evolve. And I think it's flawed. I think mm-hmm. that the law says, you know, hey, if you want to prove a hostile work environment based on race or gender, I'll give a much more summarized version of what the law says, but you have to prove that the, ob- the objective, reasonable person who would find this this comment, this language, whatever, to be so offensive and so persistent and debilitating to your job function. I'm definitely paraphrasing here, and that the worker themselves subjectively found that to be true. In my opinion, you know, Charlene, I think, and a lot of what we've discussed today, I think we should remove that objective standard or or severely qualify it, because who is the objective person? Is it the employer? You know, is it is it me? Is it is it an employer of the same gender, sexual orientation, or color, same ethnicity or background of the perceived, let's say, the uh, or the the victim of the discrimination? So I think it's a really I think that's a big mistake I've made is don't assume that I'm going to find out if this happened or not. Assume for sake of argument that the person's experience is valid and real. And if so, how do you? make them whole again, stop it from happening in the future, take corrective measures and actions. So I love that, that you're saying, really think about what the person is saying is valuable. Yeah. But how would they address the issue if they didn't do the interviews and, and all of that? So mm-hmm. what would you say to the employer that they should do to find out if Sally actually did the thing that Sally is accused of doing? Good question. Yeah. And to be clear, I think that the actions that follow, you know, in the investigation should be the same in terms of talking to Sally, right? Let's say the the person who received the discriminatory behavior or lack of promotion, uh, talking to the people that are charged with the discrimination and talking to witnesses. So the investigation is still to gather information, but the starting point of the investigation is not, hey, this either happened or it didn't. I mean, you can ultimately decide that. And there are some extreme cases. Somebody makes something up, someone fabricates, like say, sexual harassment, you know, this person groped me uh, on New Year's Eve and the person actually was sick New Year's Eve, wasn't even at the holiday party, right? But most cases don't fall into that that like extreme. So I think the, you know, the, um, the investigation should still be to gather information. But my point is, go into the investigation, meaning the employer goes into it, Assuming for the sake of argument that the discrimination happened and if facts uncover, hey, this is a rare example where, you know, a person truly made this up. Say you uncover emails and texts that say, hey, I'm going to state this about Bob because I hate Bob. You know, he dissed my brother last week, you know, last year and or he he divorced my sister and I'm going to ruin his life. If that happens, okay. The discrimination didn't occur. But if someone says I'm getting met with hostility in the workplace and it's all from Susan and you say nonsense, I know Susan, I determined she's a straight up excellent, wonderful person, wouldn't do this. And then you close the case out. Well, you can be hit with a, uh, a, a claim of condoning discrimination in the workplace and causing all of the trauma and harm that we talked about earlier. Now, Susan feels like, you know, hey, or the victim feels like I'm not being heard. My experience is not being validated. Wow. So I really appreciate you, you know, drawing that out. So to get to this, this question around sort of this this cancel culture, and I know that we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but what you just said was, 
it provokes this thought of sometimes employers act too quickly. And so we don't have to go fully into cancel culture, but what do you advise these employees? Like some of them will say, look, we can't have this to tarnish our university or our job. So they just fire the person too quickly. Any advice for those people with how they should move forward? Very quick, I'll be more succinct. Advice is don't. No, don't, don't fire too quickly. Don't just like, uh, you know, shoot from the hip. Don't be too reactive because then you're in the opposite, like this pendulum swinging too far the other way, right? You're actually not doing anyone any favors. You're not actually solving the systemic issues of racism in your company. You're not addressing them like, like, as like they may truly be happening. All you're really doing is saying, like, this is bad PR. Let this person go. And then the last thing I'll say about that in terms of the how it, increase the racism is that it makes people on the outside who read this or see it on the news, let's say, go, you see, all these discrimination cases are, are, are just oversensitive people, overreacting, of too woke culture. It's all nonsense. So you end up invalidating the other cases. So don't react too quickly. Call me. I can help guide you through this. <laughs> I, I love that, that you're saying that then, because, you know, in a nutshell, we've dealt with a little bit of it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to have a whole nother show on cancel culture. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about it is, is that you have to make sure that the person who's filing the complaint feels heard. But you also, I, I'm, I'm imagining from your perspective, you also have to advise the company, like you're saying, Look, we, we've got to look at this thing from all sides, because if you fire that person too quickly, they're going to slap a lawsuit Possibly. on you as well. But I think the, the the critical thing that you said, and this is a part of my stance a little bit um, as well on cancel culture, when you decide that you're going to fire that one person, you haven't resolved the issues that exist around the ways in which your company might be practicing discriminatory uh, practices, right? And you aren't helping people to see their implicit biases or microaggressions. So, you know, we're just about out of time. Are are there any other things or maybe one thing that you'd like to also say that you haven't said that you'd like to give in terms of just talking about our topic today? Well, I guess I just say that, you know, if people out there want to, you know, employers, business owners looking to get more information about this from me, um, they can reach me at, uh, it's the law offices of Eric M. Sauver, S-A-R-V-E-R. They can go to www.sauver, S-A-R-V-E-R hyphen law.com. They can call me at 917-930-8684. Email me as well, on my website. Um, but also I may perhaps leave off with an inspirational quote. Right. We talked a lot about, you know, the emotions involved and it's a very hard topic for people. And I think even employers have regrets when these situations come up. So there's a good uh, quote from the Dalai Lama that says uh, there are only two days in the year for which nothing can be done. One is called yesterday. Right. The past. And one the other is called tomorrow. So today is the right day to love, believe, do and mostly to live. And I think that just I know we're out of time, but you can kind of make the transition to, look, stay in the moment, stay in now. Don't be too caught up on your mistakes. Learn from them, right? Don't worry about the future too much. Just take the actual reaction in front of you. Mm -hmm. That is so wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And again, um, as attorney Eric Sarver said, you can find out more about him um, when you listen to the show again. Uh, You Mm -hmm. go to the website, talkradio.nyc, and all of the information uh, will be there as well. 
Attorney Sarver, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about the importance of uh, being aware of our, our microaggressions and learning more about our implicit biases so that we can stop doing them, right? Um, so thank you so much for that and all the important information that you offered and that wonderful lesson. I want to invite our listening audience to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz. Sam actually helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. So I invite you today to tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that are going to manifest your greatness and manifest the greatness in others. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you. you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. podcast gateway to the smokies it airs on talkradio.nyc every tuesday night from 6 p.m to 7 every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the great smoky mountains national park and surrounding areas 
This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 